Season 4, Episode 3, Rites of Passage. Sarah provokes thought on rites of passage by asking, what are we holding back onto in work and education simply because of a social construct established by rite of passage? She wonders whether those with power to make changes can support the redesign of teaching. Trade reflects on the way that Why Work podcast considers case law and realities of life or the non-vanilla spice of life that challenges conventions. Alan, Trage and Sarah dissect rites of passage in social systems that diminish others. Hello and welcome to the Why Work podcast series. You are listening to Trace Vetkovsky, Sarah Pazell and Alan Girl. Talking into it. Yes, I love the chilli, dark, lint, chocolate. But with not vanilla? Of... Uh, no, oh, look, nothing wrong with vanilla, don't get me wrong. Right. However, I do prefer a little bit of spice. I love that dark chocolate with sea salt. Yeah, or that's the one I'm talking and about. Chili. Yeah. Oh See? my gosh. Ain't nothing vanilla about that. Do you that, remember mate? that movie Chocolat and that beautiful. Oh, lovely yeah, movie. Julian yeah, Julian yeah. Binoche. Yes. yes, love yeah. that movie, right? And that was a young Johnny Depp then, too. Mm. And that's what our podcast's about. <laughs> It's not Johnny about Depp. The Spice of Life. It could be about Johnny Depp. Yeah, the great actor. The Spice of Life, right? Spice. No, it's about non-vanilla podcasts, and that's what right. we're about. Non-vanilla. All right. Can, right. can we okay. talk about something that uh, we just started to talk about offline a little bit, and that was yeah. about professional rites of passage. It's something I've been curious about because mm. I've had some experiences. And, wow. you know, I work for several universities. That's my other work around my consultancy and research project work. And I'm curious about the way education occurs. Now, in my research work, let me preface this, I've been looking at this CHIP model, the communication that transpires to human information processing, right? What is the message you want to communicate? What's the mode of that communication? How is it attended to? How is the information received and processed? And what sort of behaviors do you expect to come from that? When you start to really pull that out from a human factors perspective, it really helps you understand like, What's the elicitation of knowledge when you work with subject matter experts and what's the transfer of knowledge and what behaviors do you expect to happen? I love this. I'm I'm pulling this apart for some current research in mining. Hmm. And because of that and because of what I do with different universities, I was confronted recently by some exams where I was, you know, a participant in helping to assess students. So I, I do little projects with different unis and I just agreed to help assess some students. It was an oral exam, it was a healthcare topic. I work in health, business, law, human factors, different hmm. subjects, different unis. And this was for healthcare students. And it was a situation where the healthcare students had to recall some pretty intensive neurology learnings. And it was no books, walk in, oral exam across the table with a video camera going and with uh, just a blank piece of paper. And from their last you know, nine or 10 weeks of learnings, I had a list of questions, randomized computer generated questions. And if Trage, if you were the student coming in, I would invite you in the room, explain how things were going to unfold and boom, there's a stopwatch, certain amount of time. And I have these random questions to pull. So you would have had to prepare as much as you can from absolutely everything. Okay, let me get this straight. I'm flashing back to, my father was telling me at his final, they used to call that matriculation. Yes. He said there was a hat, literally Ah. a hat. 
and there were 10 questions in there scrunched into... Harry into, Potter and the hat, yep. the sorcerer's hat. scrunched okay. into um, paper and you pluck out the topic. Exactly, like that. But, but I'm talking the 50s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it felt it felt archaic to me, yeah. okay? And I was confronted by this because I ran out of tissues. Why? Because students would wow. break down and cry, right? And And it really challenged me to think about what are we holding on to that's simply an old rite of passage that yeah. as professors, as lecturers, we're just used to because, boy, it was tough when we did it, so it should be tough now. Uh, and, and you know, is that really the best way to look, to assess performance? And is that really indicative of graduate attributes once somebody graduates? Are they ever going to have to recall spontaneously mm. the Magella at Magella and are they going to have to look at the spinothalamic pathway uh, are they going to right in the heat of the moment they're gonna to have to recite this with myelination and she's you know <laughs> what do people really need to know to do their job well and effectively and is that the behavior you need to elicit by testing in that way so that's always in the back of my mind the human factors aspects in, in instructional design course right. design right okay. and the experience what impact is that really going to have and i look at workplace education i deliver workplace mm. education and it's certainly it's hard it's hard to be you know perfect in all cases but i i'm just curious about it it's one of my many things i'm curious about and if i have a group of students who seem like lovely people right um healthcare professions seem to attract some very lovely people when they first come into the the profession the stereotypes and these people are breaking down in tears because it's like they might have they might have studied in that hat that you mentioned mm. 99% and they get that one ticket that wasn't the thing that they were most familiar or comfortable with boom and they're tested oral live with a video camera and the stress mm. of that can just be too much do you think the reason why that model is presented is because of given that it's a health sector work that simply this and alan i'd like to hear your thoughts on this too it's character building sarah oh, suck it up it's suck tough it up love. deal with it we're going to have to deal with tough yeah. events and you're going to have to be prepared for, right so that for that blood might on the floor, be an argument pre prepared for screaming right. this is what it yelling. takes but let's okay let's let's wind this back the reality is we have a shortage of skilled workers in healthcare and will do for the next 20 years, right? I've had healthcare organizations say, hey, our CEO just talked about the shortage of nursing staff for the next three years. And I said, wow, that was short-sighted. And they go, what do you mean? I said, I'm sorry, I can't help, but you know, I, I don't hold my tongue very well. So it was like, it's not three years. You don't, there's no panacea in three years. It is a World Health Organization problem noted for the next 20 years globally. So we have to prepare to be under-resourced. So how are we going to be smart about work design given that scenario? So going back to education, is this just a right of passage that we've inherited? Like I found a nice article here from, uh, gosh, it's from Walter Benjamin, The Awesome Journey, Rites of Passage in Medical education okay and in this he talks about medical school the first two years are simply survival right mm. so think about that we're going to test you to see who survives right again could it be part of this we're toughening you up we're toughening you up for the reality and i yeah. hear that you got to deal with uh, specialists and surgeons it's, it's mm. all tough love right tough i love. hear that is that really conducive to to the way we need to be empathetic and support somebody's real learning right um, i'm just questioning i'm just yeah. putting this out there uh, then they talk about suffering and death. That's a rite of passage. Your patient content, you need to have experienced suffering and death. Uh, abuse. 
this is what you're talking about. Medical student as a victim, grandstanding. There's there's mm -hmm. ego, there's abuse, there's tales of woe. Because when I had to deal with a specialist, there was this ego abuse, so you should get used to it too, yeah. right? Rite of passage. Uh, the house of God, where you should be used to working an all-nighter. Hey, mm -hmm. right? That's just a rite of passage. Forget about the fatigue and psychosocial harm that can arise from this experience, right? So, so do we override some of these conventions that we're being told should be adhered to just because it's a rite of passage in a profession, right? Hey, and there's this other ego-driven in medical education. People rely on me to save lives, right? So this gets perpetuated. Uh, the dark night of soul, that's a good term, right? The dark night of soul and that's when as a rite of passage there's a period of time among medical practitioners at least according to this article that there may be some fragmentation and suddenly a loss of meaning the whole reason that you went into medical school to help others gets challenged because you start asking what am I devoting my life to all my skills and my energy and you're getting close to now burnout and your medical colleagues who you valued lose their halos right they become real people and you see this term they've got feet of clay or you start to see their real character flaws right they're no longer gods now you talked about mm. knowledge God. power and truth yeah. that triad yeah and surgeons was one of the cohorts you spoke about oh yeah absolutely so suddenly a surgeon there was a time and um, particularly alan in workers compensation claims and matters where the surgeon would simply take a view or the, the orthopedic surgeon writing the reports would say oh he's a malingerer as, uh, and then that would be taken as gospel do you malingerer i love that mm -hmm. word malingerer but now of course that level of power or, or godlike cogency doesn't hold but there was a time when oh if the doctor says malingerer must be a malingerer bludger. Right. a bludger right. do you remember and, that alan there was that certainly that I do, that sort of thing still exists a bit yeah. and and this came up and when you start to see these character flaws and people that you you've appreciated it comes from witnessing this sense of privilege and conservatism in this profession versus the intent to support those who are marginalized the whole reason you thought that you were possibly getting into a medical profession you see people build professional armor and when there we talked about your benevolence eroding you lose empathy when you're so tired and burnt out and overworked right so you start to see that you know is it a sensitivity versus personal resilience in a bad system right good people who mm. fail in bad systems poorly designed systems not all professionals though it's not just about the doctors no, I'm thinking so uh, I'm, I'm curious about rites of passage mm. right so I'm talking about in healthcare now from the education to the workplace like as simple as in the workplace I remember going out uh, as a young healthcare professional and you, if you worked in a hospital setting you had to eat the porridge that's a rite mm. of passage your first lunch you're invited to the cafeteria and you gotta eat the porridge right that's simply a rite of passage <laughs> <The> ritual <laughs> part of that yeah but certainly I'm thinking of the legal profession um, tell Alan, me about I, that guys um, it's changed a lot over the years so what's some traditional yeah. conventional rites of passage in the, and I say law fraternity we were talking about that and then I, I question myself because that sounds very patriarchal it sounds yeah. very ma male, masculine. I certainly don't mean that, but it's old vernacular that I have from the US. Well, right? Historically, it would have because uh, women were not allowed to. <laughs> 
to practice in oh, some no, they were so they were pubs in Australia when oh, yeah, I was a was kid. Goodness, my mom yeah. talks, talks about that, right? Absolutely, but certainly, yes, yeah, so legal profession now. Legal you know, profession 50, 50, to be more inclusive of whoever yes. is practicing. So what ha- what are the rites of passage in a legal profession? I think a lot of them have disappeared. A lot of the things that were around when I was a, a first-year lawyer, you know, you used to have things like the article clerk would be made to wash the mm. partner's cars or... Oh, shut up. Are you serious? Presents for... What? Normally in those days was the wife. Um, there were there were other things that'd be sent on running around the city delivering non-existent parcels. Um, oh, all that, sorts of wait, stuff. Wait, 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 explain that one to me. Oh yeah, I'll tell you. I've been, I had an experience. Yeah, go on. I was 18, 17. Still was even eighteen. First year, first year of everything. Seventeen, um, and I was told to deliver the oral agreement forms in a, in a Manila envelope, in a yellow envelope. So from the courthouse to the police station, which was up the road in Ipswich. Now, oral agreement. That in itself is reasonably oxymoronic, but when, when, when you're a 17-year-old first-year clerk, you do as you're told. Mm. All formal. There was a registrar who asked me to do this, and I sealed it, and, you know, of course, people were sniggering. I had no idea what's going on. I'm freaking out. Going to the police, the first time in official business, right. to deliver the oral agreement for, and, I, uh, and I rang the bell. Yes. Hey, are you, what are you here? Yeah, so I'm sorry, I'm from the, uh, the courthouse. I'm here to deliver the oral. Oh, and then they made a big issue. So then, no, no, you need to speak to Constable so-and-so. So I'll sort of give it a bit of a bit of a run around. It's part of the, the game, part of yes. the ruse, part of the initiation. So then I said, ah, oh, um, yeah, we have to get that. So then they gave me another envelope from the police. This one was the police uh, service envelope. Anyways, I had that and this went on for about oh, ages. So I ran back down, this time a lather of sweat. I think oh, I've got this right. And Ziggy was my nickname, that's another story. Ziggy? Ziggy, Ziggy. Yeah, because we were in the Battle of the Bands and I was called David Bowie, Ziggy. So <laughs> I feel about I love, I love Bowie. All so right, Ziggy. Ziggy. Ziggy, did you bring the oral Stardust, agreement? Stardust, baby. All right. Yeah, so there's a big ritual. Did you bring the oral agreement forms? Yes, yes. And this is part of this right yeah, passage. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I did, I did. And they said, well, well, you need to open it in the presence of a witness. And they made this huge ritual out of the whole thing. It's right. right. Passage. They're all gathering around. And Are I'm they nervous. snickering yet? Have you noticed them laughing yet? No, they probably would have you been. You weren't but sure. Course, you were so Yeah, so I was on freaking edge. out thinking, because I'd gone to the police to get the swap the documents. Yeah. This is big. This yeah, is my yeah, first... Yeah first foray into the law. You're right. And I opened it up. And guess what was in it? Toilet paper. Oh, shut up. Oh. And it was funny. So, but, but it's generational because my boss, the clerk of the court, he wasn't in on it. It yeah, was the, yeah. the, the deputy. They locked him in the in the safe. Like, uh, like in, we're back then, because, you know, you deal with the money and the mail. They locked him in for like a few hours. He was in a safe. And you don't know if he had... Claustrophobia or whatever, mm. right? So this is the type okay. of stuff. Okay, so it's a bit uh, like hazing. Yeah. Isn't that the term, yeah, hazing? It's hazing. It's you're you're yeah. made to do some uh, humiliating or something yeah. inappropriate, mm. and that's mm. just a, another rite of passage. Yeah. So they start early. and it, But it, it, you realise but that's part of that character building, you see. And then, oh, or, I don't think or it's character is it? building. Is it a well, no, no, no. For no, 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 some people it is, but other people it's very traumatic, and I and think it, that's yeah. why we've got rid of it. And it, Well, have we got rid of it, though? That's what I'm telling you. This can be subtle and it can be extreme, these rites. Yeah, have we got rid of it? Because, Alan, so whilst the, those obvious things, like you said about the car washing and, and me with the toilet paper, what I noticed, I'm a little bit younger than you, what I noticed was... Um, <laughs> Did you notice that slide? You just slipped that right in but there. What right? I noticed was there was a different culture this time. It wasn't that obvious stuff, which could be akin to hazing. It was more like, oh, one to one article clerk, the old term, would say to the other article clerk, are you going? Yeah. 
Oh, okay. So you're going early. It was five to six. Oh, so you're talking about right. So in law, you hear that all the time. Who shows up first and who leaves last, right? <laughs> yeah, and you and it's, there's some pride in being the first to the office and the last yeah, to leave. And also and that what was I, built from the top down. Alan and I. So the culture. This, this is what we're talking about in terms of that that tribal culture in an organization and and what's unwritten and unspoken and yet still affects psychosocial well-being, right? Yeah. I mean, 12 are hours causing harm yeah. with those expectations that are unwritten. And it's really work. quite easy to design a workplace so that that can't happen. How? What the, are you the thinking? Computers just turn off. You right. just have a, 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 a time when the computers switch off. No, they don't. Using laptops? No, yeah. they don't do that, but you can do no, that. No, 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 computers don't turn off. I'm looking at my phone now. <laughs> That's the problem. The computers don't turn off. Technology is just becoming too advanced. It's, we're, we're plugged in. We're a plug-in generation. So whilst your physical lap, a desktop at, home, at work or home, work, turn, off. turn off, bing, bing, bleep, bloop, and that urge to go, oh, what's if Alan's sending me a phone note about tomorrow? And you may not be, Alan, mm. but what's if you are? That's not disconnecting, and that's on challenging all the employees out there to have a good look at themselves. That part's not disconnecting. You know that whole right to disconnect, which is part now... Fair Work Act's playing with that provision. Mm. You can formalise that, but people aren't turning off. Look, I'm sure that there are rites of passage in so many industries. You can talk about mining, right, and some of the FIFA work and the shifts that you've done and the bravado that comes with that. You could talk about transportation and the long-haul trips that you've made Mm. or not made. Mm. And and you could talk about aviation. You could talk about military, right? You hear about all Mm. kinds of hazing experiences in military or in construction. I mean, go through the list. So what do you do with your business, Sarah? What do you do? Because you work huge hours. Mm. So how do you make sure that your staff don't look at your example and say, oh, I should be working huge hours? Oh, yeah, it's, it's absolutely a thing, isn't it, when you're talking about leading by example? Yes. I, and yet, I guess for me, I work and play and thread that outside of the conventions of your normal eight to five, which right. is far more acceptable now because Mm. of the pandemic where Mm. people can work odd hours but i always have a little provision that like even in my signature tag it'll say something to the effect of you know i just because i'm working some strange word at weird hours i'm not expecting you to respond to me immediately da 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 there's Mm. like little disclaimers around Mm. my uh, my work things and And i have that conversation the c world i talk about that I am a sole parent and that I also enjoy my little fitness activities and things during days when other people may be working and that I might work early morning and late night uh, or do catch up on the weekend and just because I do that not expecting you to respond so I have a conversation and I think if nothing else that's at least one aspect and there are provisions now you can put this into like Microsoft Outlook teams where you can say send your emails at mm-hmm. and group send at eight o'clock on yeah. on uh, Monday yeah. morning so there are little mm-hmm. technology provisions you can put about the mm-hmm. communication mm-hmm. systems in your calendar your mm-hmm. updates to people but do you but do you walk the walk do you make sure do you, have you had a conversation with yourself <laughs> <laughs> do I you love make sure what I do, so mm. I'm motivated in what I do, and mm. I also I play well too. Okay. So you know, I play well, I play hard, I work hard, and I always have. And I I think you know, trying to curtail that might not suit Sarah. 
Yeah. You know, that's just it is who I am. It's yeah. how I how I function and I go in waves with what I yeah. do. But I don't expect everyone else to have to do what I do. And tell me if I'm wrong here. You have inbuilt capacitors. You have threshold points and limits where you know, you know what? Stop. Well, I'll tell you what, too. This this thing I just spoke about earlier about the whole methylation of my folate and all the supplements I take that are not medicine-based, but I go for health-based, I can notice a big difference it, that means I need to get out into nature and go get sunshine more. And so that's not necessarily a bad thing as a forced regulator in life. Sometimes our own health impacts become our our health regulators in life, right? Mm. I'm not in fact, in fact, guys, you know, um, we had our our webinar, our our drop-in session for Why Work, and that was the day I had a face drop. That's when I woke up that day and had that face drop, and I actually said, I'm not putting my my camera on. I had to actually hold my mouth to make my lips function Mm. for that that thing, because I was not full, I was not Mm. methylating my folate. Now that I know that was a thing, I didn't know that was a thing, and and, uh, and we were talking about healthcare topics in emergency room just before I went into that emergency room from our last discussion. <laughs> yeah, it's... But, but it certainly wasn't a rite of passage, if you're asking me, no. going back to the theme, if I had an, uh, a team member that said, you know, my face kind of fell off today, I'd go, you don't have to do this webinar. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and, I would have no expectation that they did. <laughs> But it, it's more, it's, it's because everyone's so busy, they've got their busyness going on. I don't think conversations are occurring around the water cooler, so to speak, about rights how Rights of passage, cultural expectations. Yeah, cultural expectations, more specifically. Uh, rights of passage is one of them. And the hours are just there. I think everyone's just so busy. Mm. And it's a, it's a little bit about some of the mentoring we receive. So mm. back to your earlier discussion about working from home, you know how it, it became increasingly a trend to make sure we had an experienced worker be a mentor to anyone else. It could mm. be not, a, not an official boss, and in fact, better if it wasn't, so that you had a mentor who didn't have any power disparity mm. affecting your role, but you could assign someone as like the uh, unaffected, uh, unofficial mentor when you had a yeah. You know, so I used to help prompt employees, but when you do, now you have this distributed workforce, are we still providing mentorship outside of the line of authority to support workers? So the role of the mentor, and it's funny because a lot of people just simply don't know what, what a mentor is. I wouldn't mind talking about, uh, I guess, reinvigorating, because certainly that's how we've been trained and you're a senior what, in, and, and a in junior. lawyers? Yeah, in, in the a, legal a profession? Yeah, a mentoring role. Certainly my experience of being in a mentoring role and yeah, I provide mentorship. The role of the mentor, what, do you think it's missing in the workplace? I do now with the the distribution of work, right? I I think that it certainly has an opportunity to make sure that's better formalized and recognized as a support to help understand and dismantle uh, maybe some misinterpretations at work, some cultural expectations that can be challenged, you know? So what is a mentor? What is a mentor, Alan? Is it a buddy or is it, what is a mentor? It's a bit of both, isn't it? It's someone who you respect in terms of their knowledge and experience. Yeah. Someone you can have confidential conversations with. Yeah. Um, someone that you can hopefully get wisdom and guidance from. Yeah. And I, I feel and, missing some of that. And, oh, can, that's and the can navigate some of the re- social relations at work as opposed mm. to just a formal hierarchy. And, and, the, and the, you know, like I say, that tribal culture and, the, and explain the operating rhythm and some of the soft skills support. Mm. So it's a less yeah. formal but really important to how you function at work is if you understand that that who's got power in the organization might not always be an assigned role too. And sometimes mm. you have to navigate those dynamics. 
mentoring to me certainly is, is that guidance thing that's that struck me because someone arrives first day at work oh here's your handover mm. Here, here's your key here's your id uh the coffee room's down here and so-and-so's there and there'll be a morning tea later and even if it's a formal morning tea to welcome you most of the time it's not but let's say there was that's not mentoring can i tell you guys about one time i had a situation where i was i sometimes contract long term to organizations and almost work as though i'm embedded in an organization and this was the case in this um uh, shall we just say broadly a construction firm and my work is human factors and work design and and innovation etc and I came in, the person who originally had interviewed me was no longer with the organization. I think that they were let go, right? There were months of delay before I was embedded into the organization. When I showed up, nobody really knew what to do with me. They didn't have a reporting line established. Uh, Somebody who I became friends with uh, helped me organize my my personal protective equipment and how I was supposed to get that to go out on site. And right? that was just random, though. Random, <laughs> randomly. We just uh, found each other, so uh, we became buddies and, and you know, uh, a self-assigned mentor, right? Helped me find a desk to use for when I was in that organization. It was so uh, discombobulated and not organized, mm-hmm. not structured. But at the same time, so I had that support. And at the same time, uh, you know, I just had to figure out, okay, uh, the person I thought I was reporting to is no longer there. There was no one giving guidance. The other person who was going to supervise my role was gone for three months. Hmm. And here was my start date. So I just thought, okay, I'm going to try and work out what you all want me to do and do, do some observations, conversations, and I make sure to write a monthly report. So no matter what, it's, there's a record of something I'm doing. But a person working over in injury management came over to my desk and said, ah, hi, I hear you're now doing some work design, human factors, ergonomics kind of work. I said, yeah. Are you here to put me out of a job? Stood over me while I and said that to me. I said, "Wow." Okay, that's not your mentor. That was a final note to stop, uh, not my mentor. So actually, uh, I kind of said, "Wow, wouldn't that be awesome if we effectively eliminated so many causes for injuries, right? That you and I could work together in a constructive way to build and construct more health and well-being throughout the organization and more innovation." That would be awesome, and I look forward to that opportunity. And I thought, wow, Sarah, you have to think fast there. I was actually proud of my quick response. I I wanted to say, F, F sake, did you really just say that to me? Write a passage. Write a passage. Tough love. Uh, Let's see if you can get past this person. So sometimes there's those personalities. Let's see if you can deal with, you know, Joe over here or Jane over there, right? Because that's part of the write a passage in this organization. Yeah, it clearly was. Yeah, it's... Definitely. So again, falls back to communication. I think we actually need to dismantle some of these rites of passage. I think we need to bring them up. Now, you mm-hmm. talked about primal urges and, and should we just talk about that sex is really a thing in an organization, meaning that there are aspects of like precarious manhood. Are you threatening somebody's manhood, therefore they get very violent or aggressive? And do they act as a bully in the workplace? Right. And just just mm-hmm. as an example. I think it behooves us to go back and examine what are our rites of passage if we are looking at education or if we're looking at our workplace and are we brave enough to dissect these and say are these really useful or are they possibly creating harm now what's our objective going back to that human factors analysis what's what are we trying to communicate how do humans receive that what mode how are they supposed to process information what behaviors do we expect to follow and are we really doing things the right way and so i think it's more than just saying you know hey we probably i don't think people know so much what 
these invisible rites of passage are until we pause to reflect and dissect them, pull them apart actively, reconstruct it. Oh, that's the, that's the elephant in the room. Who's got the <laughs> courage right. to Why do it? Why is it an elephant in the room? Who's oh. got the courage to do it? You've been listening to Trage, Sarah and Alan. And if you really enjoyed this show, share this with a friend. Submit your five-star rating on your favourite podcast streaming service. Keep listening and send in your stories. You can email us at hello at whywork.com.au. And of course, sign in to our newsletter. You can head straight to our website at www.whywork.com.au. We can't wait to learn about the trouble you've seen in the workplace. And remember, none of the things we've talked about today should be construed as legal advice or any other type of advice. We're just here to talk about all things related to work and we hope you enjoyed as much as we do we love it see you next time